so I flipped the coin and it was heads and that was like my decision to call up my boss and just say, hey, like I quit effective <laughs> immediately, put my two weeks in. Was your boss like, what's the new opportunity? <laughs> or you like, I'm going to make memes or? <laughs> no, I, I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to focus on something entrepreneurial. <laughs> okay. Very vague. You know, I didn't want anyone to know what Okay. Was. So like, I want to just address the student, pseudonymity. I always like screw up that word. So <laughs> I might just say anonymous. Welcome to The Rebooting Show. I'm Brian Morrissey. Each week I talk to those who are building sustainable media businesses. And, you know, I've done a podcast for like seven years now. And um, rarely do I have a first, but this week I have a couple firsts. One, I'm talking to a full-fledged meme lord. And second, I'm talking to a pseudonym. Um, Liquidity is a media brand that began back in 2017 as an Instagram meme account um, created by an investment banker, aka Lit. The account proved wildly popular enough that Lit has turned it into a full-scale operation with a daily newsletter called Exec Sum, a podcast called Big Swinging Decks. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, while also operating as a scout for Bing Capital and also doing some of your own early-stage investing, I think we're both um, investors in Beehive Lit. Um, hey, yeah, there you little-known fact. Um, and then selling merch and all kinds of things. But I also I, I wanted to have you on because like of, I think of Liquidity as a great example of a new breed of media company. I don't even know if you consider a media company, but using using media um, to establish um, a different kind of connection with, with an audience. So really excited to get into it with you, Lit. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so as I said, first time I've ever uh, had a full conversation um, with, a, uh, with a pseudonym. Um, but bring us back. Like for those who don't know Liquidity, give me the origin story. What happened back in 2017 just, that made you think, Okay, memes, finance, let's do it. Yeah, so I will take it back a little further to when I was in college and interned at an investment. I went through the whole boot camp, a lot of late nights and just like learning as I went and it was um, really tough and really reminded me of the pledging process in the fraternity in college and saw a lot of parallels and so thought it would be interesting to chronicle the tales of a junior investment banker through some sort of medium, right? And my inspiration really started with this brand that was called Total Frat Move. I think they're still around, but they were like in their heyday when I was in college and it was just like satirical stuff around fraternity humors and like making fun of the, the douchebags yeah. that you'll see. And I thought, hey, like once I get enough like experience on Wall Street, know how to actually build out a website, like I'll do that. So then I went into the workforce and spent a few years working in investment banking where I was covering tech, media and telecom companies just in, in all sorts of different types of products, IPOs, M&A, debt raises, etc. And so right after that, I, I didn't have any time to focus on this. It was pretty much on the back burner. Fast forward to when I transitioned over to the buy side, I was at a small private equity fund where I was able to actually have some free time and get back home when there was sunlight. And so found myself with free time. And so one day I was like back with my friends pre-gaming to go out to, to the bars like every early to mid 20 year old would be doing in New York City. And the idea just like popped back up in my mind of, 
hey, remember that idea like I was talking about in college? I think I should do it. And Instagram just proved the easiest way to do it without the knowledge of how to format a website or web development or anything like that. So launched it and woke up the next morning hungover with an Instagram account that needed to be named. <laughs> See, I would always just buy uh, domain names. That's how I have a lot of weird domains. Um, <laughs> but like, explain the, the meme, why you were attracted to memes. And I think part mm -hmm. of this is just, I think we can say like, you're in your like early 30s, I'm mm -hmm. guessing. Yeah, yeah yep. I don't know. I'm judging. You. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a cartoon pixel, a pixelated <laughs> cartoon head. So I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, I think like memes. Memes have always been a challenge for someone like my age, right? Because like, mm -hmm. I I never I I never got them. I didn't I didn't understand this form of communication. And I remember thinking like they were something of a fad. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, and then like uh, we had a conference where I was interviewing. Remember, I can has cheeseburger. Oh, this yeah. is one of the original sort of meme oh, things geez, that yeah. Ben Ha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I was like, this meme stuff. And he's like, no, this is a new form of like communication and art. And you really got to like figure it out. And I was like, yeah. I'm never going to figure it out. But why, why did you sort of, um, what attracted you to, to memes as like the vehicle? I mean, like you said, mm -hmm. like it's, it, it was easier, I guess, to like start an Instagram account with this. But like, why memes? Why memes? I think it was just such a digestible format that was popular on Instagram when I was just scrolling through it myself. Like, no, normally there's some downtime at work and I would just like pull up my phone and start scrolling. This was before I was even on Twitter. So Instagram was either pictures of friends or, or memes. And so that's kind of where I was like consuming memes that were very generalist, like broad humor that was like oh okay it's kind of funny but not really like my niche sense of humor and then there was one account that uh when i was in banking that i was following i was really interested in this one it was called dad and it was focused on like trust fund humor like oh my dad's rich and works at a private equity fund and flies in a private jet and i just thought like okay this is very different from a mass humor meme account and thought it was the funniest thing for a while and i was sharing it with my friends who were also in the same early investment banking or private equity realm so we really connected on a deeper level from that just sharing it and then um, yeah and then he just like went radio silent and stopped posting and i just it coincided with when i had made my transition and i was like hey like i might as well just do this because I really love that. Um, it just yeah. stems yeah. back to that. But time I think what's also interesting is that it's an that it's together. like a sort of native form of storytelling for that sort of generation, right? And like I think that's important mm -hmm. because like when I think about because I think about like yeah. finance. Um, I'm not in finance, although I'm I'm uh, I'm doing this like three blocks away from Wall Street. Um, but um, what I think is interesting <laughs> is that finance media is not like, you know, the people in the trenches, right? Like, so, I mean, I had a lot of friends like who, who worked in finance and stuff like mm -hmm. this, but you know, they're like, you know, the way they describe their, mm -hmm. their life. And like, they were just like normal dudes and stuff like this, um, was totally different than the very dry finance media. And this is a, a natural way of, um, I don't know of like, of, of communicating. Cause I think and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like finance like has a lot of gallows humor. Yeah. Like I think journalism has a lot of gallows humor too, but like it's a different type of, in finance, but 
this it exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that one thing that I felt was lacking, real insider baseball type humor where you look at CNBC or Bloomberg or whatnot, you'd mention this, that it's probably people who aren't insiders that are reporting on news or talking about the stock markets and just reporting matter of facts. And I thought there's a lot of gossip, there's jokes, a lot of things that people like to joke about. And that's kind of what I wanted to fill. I mean, for example, the joke back in my day was everyone was harping on UBS Jeffries as like the, the banks that you like throw mud at. And then I thought, oh, like when Deutsche Bank was going through a string of terrible headlines, that was when I started the DB not a BB campaign. And everyone kind of knew that because everyone was like, well, yeah, they're a bulge bracket bank, but it's not at the same level as a Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan. And so like it, yeah. it just resonated immediately because everyone's thinking the same thing. So it's not something that you're going to see a uh, reporter take a stance on or anyone inside yeah. take a stance on publicly unless maybe they're a hedge fund or not subject to I don't know, some repercussions. And so that's also explains why I yeah, started. Yeah, but I mean, people go to the top I mean, in general when they cover like, you know, they, they write it for the bosses, not. Um, and I think what's mm -hmm. interesting in finances is, is for those outside of the industry, they always their, their minds go to like the, the Jamie Diamonds in the top of the industry. But like armies, they're armies of analysts mm -hmm. who are, whose right, lives yep. are, you know, they might be, you know, well compensated compared to yep. most pop, um, professions are like not fun. Right. Yeah, well, that's definitely another thing. Yeah, and going back to how it's portrayed in the media or even on in Hollywood, you had Wall Street or Wolf of Wall Street. Like it was all about the big dogs, the people who were at the top and making millions. And it's not really centered in the junior bankers who were living pretty ordinary lives relative to the high flying CEOs or whatever. And so that's also something I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, because be, I always know, think like media too. brands, I always ask people, I'm like, who is it for? So, I mean, it's like, to me, it's pretty clear, but it's, it's for people who, for the most part, right. That are like early going into like their mid careers at, at mm -hmm. uh, in the finance industry at banks. Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, I've been broadening my focus from just like people who were in like the mid levels or junior levels to more senior appeal and also even more junior so that there's like a journey of getting people into the, I think the newsletter serves that purpose of just getting people to establish a habit of following news up to when they're actually going through it, then the Instagram memes are going to make so much more sense. And then when they're looking for higher value add opportunities, that's where I trying to help in giving access to deal flow through early stage investment opportunities or other things that are targeted to yeah. you know, accredited investors. So when investors did you decide that purchasers. this can be a full-time thing? Like this is going to be like what you do for a living, not like as a side hustle. <laughs> I decided that probably pre-pandemic, but it wasn't at the stage where I could actually take the leap. So I kind of knew that was what there was something there but the revenue at the moment wasn't enough to justify leaving a pretty high paying job and also like okay what am i actually going to do with this that will not fully rely on just me being funny and having some memes that could be a fad and so 
that's when the pandemic really set in in early 2020. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> it's definitely not a good time to leave right now. So I hunkered down and was able to get more work done on liquidity because I was at home and no one was like over my shoulders looking to see if I was actually doing work or anything like that. And everyone was like kind of trying to decompress. I mean, it was a very stressful time. So I did it for a couple months and really put my head down to think of like a business plan and ways to actually monetize this. And then fast forward to a few months later, towards the end of 2020, I got to the point I just couldn't do both and had to dedicate um, <laughs> to one or the other. So I flipped the coin and it was heads. And that was like my decision to call up my boss and just say, hey, like I quit effective <laughs> immediately, put my two weeks in, you know. Did your boss, there. was your boss like, what? what's the new opportunity? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to make memes or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I said uh, I'm, I'm going to focus on something entrepreneurial. Okay. Very vague. You know, I didn't want anyone to know what. Okay, it was. so like I, I, so and then like you know the expansion took place, but I want to just address the student pseudonymity. I always like screw up that word, so I might just say anonymous because it is Same a little here. different. Um, I, there's yep. obvious like you know marketing, like people love mystery, the mass mass magician or whatever. I remember back when I was a kid or whatever. Um, but like. And so I get that, that that has like an appeal, but is it still like an important part of the brand or is, is this just um, like, because there's not like a reason for you to be pseudonymous, pseudonymous now? <laughs> yeah, I would say that I've just had a good thing going and would much rather not have to be a public figure if I didn't have to be. I think there are there are so many people that are like dude why don't you reveal yourself you'll get on the front cover of bloomberg or whatever and i have like people saying hey i want to cover this reveal and i'm like to me i just have no interest in that because i do see the toxicity of social media where if you're a public figure and you're poking fun at people sometimes even if it's like not really malicious which i try not to approach things maliciously you have a lot of psychos out there who will do anything to dig up your history your address anything track you down and like really dissect every piece of your life and so that's one thing that i just say hey, look like i want people to critique me or like my brand because of my humor or content that i put out rather than just the I don't know, outward appearance or anything like that although i would say i look like a yeah. pretty uh, regular person in finance and do a lot of those things so it's um it's just something that I think for me is more of like a um, nice yeah. mental health type of thing. And now, okay. now, but your yeah. friends and family, your friends and family know your, yeah, right? yeah, they, they definitely know that. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> you're not like a secret agent <laughs> where you have like a fake job. Or no, something yeah, like that. yeah, <laughs> I'm not. It's like I'm a flight attendant, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's um, they do know and my friends who also sometimes have loose lips in, in their teams are like, oh, I know who he is okay. or whatever. But I've also done the same when I'm very intoxicated and I'm just like, hey, look, ch check out my Instagram account. But don't you know who I am? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you got to pull that card at Carbone sometimes, you know, it'll be like, OK, get in the back of the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit, yeah. buddy. Um, take your, it's Miami. Get, exactly. take, take your meme account. Get, get behind all the OnlyFans. Yeah, uh, exactly. um, so, uh, so explain how you thought about, like, first of all, the business plan of like building this out. So I obviously had started off with some merchandise and some story advertisements on Instagram. It's just 
basically, hey, here's a shout out or a brand wanted to test something with the link in my bio or all of like the influencer type marketing tricks. And so I was like, okay, I'll try these things out, but I don't think they're like the highest value monetization paths to go through because you'll saturate your audience with ads. People hate ads. They'll be like, oh, you sold out, shit sucks, whatever. And uh, that's the end of that. So I really thought of how can I provide value to my audience in a way that it would also make sense monetarily. So I looked at the newsletter model, just having spoken to others in the industry and having seen trends in the space, I said, hey, I think this could be a pretty interesting one to tackle. And it doesn't require me having my face out publicly. It's just writing something and then monetizing through advertisements and maybe subscriptions, which I'm not doing yet, but that was the immediate next step. And that's what I did after leaving my job. It was focusing on how to launch exec sum. And then from there, it was just building out the rest of the media properties, which as I'm sure you've, you've seen plenty of times and everyone seemingly doing the same thing. It's podcasting, it's job boards, it's events, you name it. And it's what I set out to do, but I think in a slightly different approach. And I think also the end market that I speak to is also, uh, th there's a lot of opportunities for investing. So that's one thing that I also have started to incorporate and it's been growing steadily. And hopefully that's where things are going to be more of focus, where I can build out a investing brand and profile and fund, and then use the distribution that I've built to still monetize it, but also provide value to the portfolio companies. Yeah. And I think that's like what's, you know, really interesting um, thing that we're seeing is like people, particularly with expertise, mm -hmm. right, who start or using publishing as the front end yep. to different business models, right? It's because I feel like, you know, when you're in media or publishing, you're, like, you're, you're very dogmatic. Like you talk to people and it's like, are you going to do ads? Are you going to do subs? Are you going to do events and stuff like right. this? But when you have like credibility within a community, there's a bunch of different ways you can make mm -hmm. money. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. not, it's, and it's not um, just the relationship of it's a publisher and they're the viewers or whatever. It's a lot of people have sent me messages saying, thank you so much for what you do for exact sum. It's such a simple read. It saves me so much time or they, they looked good in front of their boss when they asked them if they knew about certain news and they read about it. So it's, really just honing in on like what do people in this community actually need rather than yeah putting whatever yeah. is out there i mean it's having that sort of empathy of having yep. been that person right like so it's like sort of an obvious thing that i think sometimes like quote unquote like professional capital j journalists mm -hmm. miss is like when you're like within when you're a member of the community you have like an innate feel for you know the mores of that community and for the the real things people care about not the things people like pretend to care about exactly. um because like i think what's interesting with exec sum is because i'm I'm an exec sum reader even though i'm not in finance it is you've sort of been able to translate that into you know it's like it's not like i don't mean to like take away from memes because i don't like yeah. i don't I don't cast aspersions on, on different communication modes, but it, it's qualitatively mm -hmm. different. Yep. I, and I agree. And I think that was one thing that was necessary because when people thought finance memes, that's very easy to just portray memes as 
oh, okay, like there's no substance behind it. And when you think about like what was happening with GameStop or the whole Wall Street bets, whatever, that was the rise of finance memes in a very different spectrum of sophistication, if you will, where it's like lowbrow humor. It's focused on like retail traders who have like or just opened up a Robinhood account. And the humor is very different. It's all about being a degenerate gambler type thing. And all that's all self-deprecating versus what I wanted to distinguish myself with was that it's more the like lifestyle, the humor of someone who worked in a major investment bank or an institutional fund or something like that where the humor is more nuanced and so audience that it appeals to is also looking for something different than just memes and so that's why i found a way to use the memes as the top of funnel they're like hey like this guy gets it and like i can appeal that resonates with me and so i can trust this person knows what he's saying if he's going to start delivering news or something and so it was hard at first to get people to find the value of exact sum because they thought it was going to be something that's like very Wall Street bets-ish. And they're like, oh, wow, there's actually good information there. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, that's the plan. So it's, yeah, yeah it's starting to catch on. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm an exec sum, but I'm not, I'm not into the memes, but I'm into <laughs> the exec sum. So I'm sure you'll find that. How many, how many subscribers do you have now to yeah, exec well, sum? Over 160,000. And so the vast majority has organically acquired. So that's through promoting on social media, you know, with my audience. And we just started testing out paid social, which I know is a, another channel, but I like to think the same exact people that yeah. follow me are pretty much the ones that are reading exact sum. So it's great to have like a deepened relationship with everyone that way. Yeah. So, okay. So, so the business model got, you've got an ads business, yeah, like, I mean, you run ads, like, uh, still through, you know, on Instagram or, or you know, with the mm -hmm. meme account. And then exec sum, I see, usually yep. monetized. Um, I'm always <laughs> looking for the ads. Yep. Uh, and then you've got investing that you're mm -hmm. also doing. Yep, correct. Yeah. So, and then, and then merchandise, yep, I would right? Say Explain the business model. It's, I, I, that's that's most that of what is, I can see. Um, primarily, it's it's hard to boil it down into like a simple playbook where you get a newsletter and you're monetizing through ads and you grow the list and you do more. Like that's just one of many things that I think the brand could do. And I'm obviously doing it as one pillar, but think of the content. It's monetizing through ads on my stories or hosted giveaways with sponsors, other things like that. And then on the newsletter, it's right now just ad-based, but I think there's also a strategy that could be implemented on converting people into premium content where that's getting a little deeper into data or other insights or whatever that's gonna be much more time intensive to put together that people already spend tens of thousands of dollars doing and I would provide it at a much cheaper level. And then, yeah, just a lot of other ways to uh, monetize. Yeah. So is this a publishing business that also has an, an investing arm or is this like an investing business that has a publishing I would say arm? that it was the latter or rather the former where it was a publisher with um, a small <laughs> investing arm. And then now it's uh, shifting towards more of a, a investing 
firm with a publishing arm. And that's how I want that to be viewed going forward as I continue to build out the credibility, the track record, and hopefully soon raising the capital for a fund to deploy and invest in companies. So it's a long road, but um, yeah, yeah the, the pendulum is going to be shifting the other way. Yeah, I'm going to have to say the word again. How does the pseudonymity <laughs> like work with the investing mm -hmm. side? Because I mean, it's it's obviously your your real name is, is on all the documents and what stuff like this. But like, do you think it holds back that as you move towards, you know, more emphasis on the investing part? I mean, yeah. advertisers don't care. They'll, they'll cut a check to yeah. whoever has well, audience. I think, uh, the <laughs> distinction that, that you make with pseudonym versus anonymity is just that people know there's someone that's at least decently credible behind that. Like my voice is out there. People know liquidity is one person and it's really, yeah, instead of like a complete like anonymous person that absolutely nothing's known about. So with that said, like, honestly, like probably half of like the portfolio companies that I've invested in don't know my actual name, but they do know my LLC's name that I invest out of. So it's something it's trust where, hey, like we've spoken to Lit on the phone and we've met him in person or something like that. But it's just, hey, you know that about me, but you don't know like my social security number or my first and last name or anything like that. And so I think <laughs> that's sort of been interesting to see like people's trust in that solely through the brand that has been built on social and detached from all of my prior identity and work. So it's um, fascinating to me sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of talk about, like, creators and personal brands and stuff like this. And I do think there's something going on. People trust other people more than they do, like, faceless um, mm -hmm. institutions, even if the, the person is a pseudonym. Um, it, Talk to me a little bit about the challenge of like going from like a one person thing and like everything being yep. about you in, in, mm -hmm. at, as lit, um, to expanding it into like a media company. You had written, re this mm -hmm. is actually when I wrote you, cause I think you said like building an independent company is hard as yeah. an MF, which <laughs> resonated with me. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that was one thing that I just realized, um, over the past year growing out the team and thinking about the funding that goes behind it and really what it would take to make it into something that's at the scale of Axios, which they were recording is like the big news that they were just like, they had yeah. a massive exit. And so to me, that was kind of like the vision of an Axios meets Barstool Sports and using liquidity as kind of the brand to help supercharge that growth. And one of the things that I found difficult was having the entire brand being tied to my humor and my voice and everything like that, where if you start to introduce other creators or elements who don't fit that, then it starts to dilute that brand. And, and then it also leaves me like wanting to be anonymous without an actual identity. And if people view liquidity as an entity rather than a single anonymous. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, you had like, I know, I know Mark, uh, you, like Mark mm -hmm. Moran had joined you and now he's sort of parting ways, but you guys are still doing the yep. podcast and stuff like this. Explain that yeah. a little bit. Because that's also why, because you, call, you called a Bloomberg <laughs> editor who edited out your quote, a, a grease ball, which I found hilarious no, yeah, for it, some reason. Um, 
basically like Mark was the first person I brought on and this was kind of the the trial and error and in the sense of we're figuring things out as it goes and as people started to become familiar with Mark they've started to view him as liquidity and it's like oh like I thought that was lit himself too which was weird and kind of left me like where am I in this whole thing even though like I'm running like the whole show and Mark was um very instrumental in implementing a lot of things and like building out that new branch which was investor relations it, it, it got to a point where we, we had slight slightly different opinions in how the team should be built and and also just like the structure of employee versus boss type setup and it was okay well who's owning what and how do you really think about that and i think the where we ended up with was having mark dedicate his whole time there because clearly he wanted to do that and like i think for me it's easier for him with, yeah. with the ir thing the investor the relations, investor yeah, relations. Um, business yeah. that that was something that he spearheaded and just wanted to focus his time on fully whereas what i needed more of it was full support on newsletter operations on expanding the merch and and other things where hiring other people would also assist in in executing on all these things but i think looking back at it it's probably for the better that it's structured this way because this way mark his own skin in the game in the sense that he has to go out and build out the business and then i can still support him in that role and then that eliminates that sort of friction of how do you view liquidity as like a brand versus like an individual creator and like i can have more control over how I want to do the newsletter and how I want to grow the merch business and everything else, you know, just uh, keep the overhead and ownership lines pretty well delineated. Yeah. So how is it? So, cause I think that's, it's like the hardest thing, right. Of like going from like a one person thing to multi person. Cause like you said, like you can either like dilute what made mm -hmm. it valuable in the first place. I mean, cause, but then on the other hand, you know, one person mm -hmm. scales only so much and like you know that's it's like there's the mr beast model there's right. all sorts of different models but like and i think it's really hard to get to get right from the start but having mm -hmm. now having like experience with that like how are you thinking well, about the expansion mr beast is a good example of mr beast is himself he is like that is his brand and the way that he's grown is through building businesses around his brand and his distribution, whereas people are not, or where people are not looking to buy a stake in Mr. Beast's, I don't know, YouTube account or his persona, which that's kind of what I wanted to delineate when I was going out to investors or bringing people on board in that like, hey, like liquidity is gonna be my online brand and identity, but my team will help grow all these channels the same way that Mr. Beast will have editors, will have other things. You get into the venture side of the business, you get into Mr. Beast Burger, all these other businesses, and the businesses themselves are different than you know, him as a creator, if that makes sense. Okay. So it's, it, yeah, no, it makes total sense, but it sounds like you're going more towards like having a, a like a creator focused business versus like, mm -hmm. for instance, like Barstool, like I think, or even like you use uh, uh, like the ringer sure. with like Bill Simmons. So I think there's they're kind of two sides of the same coin and that like they use their personal brands, 
that, you know, people were gravitated to. There was a community around, but then they brought in other mm -hmm. characters, yeah. right? Exactly. So, yeah. Like, are you thinking, are you thinking of doing the same thing of having like a collection of different, like, characters or like I, a better word? What I would say right now is probably not having that collection of characters and being in charge of them. Because what I like to do is do my own thing right now. And it's a lot of responsibility to micromanage yeah. people and say, hey, like, this is content that's great. And what I think is representative of the brand or whatnot. And like, it's such a differentiated type of content that requires one, like financial knowledge and two insider baseball knowledge and three humor. It's like hard to delegate that because the, that pool is very limited for people who actually want to dedicate themselves full time to doing it. And so that's why I'm focused on just saying, hey, look, let's grow as can grow as a partnership in the sense that it's not one organization like Barstool Sports where everyone there who's a creator of Barstool is an employee and represents Barstool. It's more of a network of individuals who work together in certain ways that it's kind of decentralized in that sense where Mark is able to grow investor relations, but he's going to need audiences of different creators to help scale the reach of retail campaign to, to get them to understand what certain companies do. Or I don't know how to scale out a recruiting business, but it's something where I can help because I do have all the first year analysts at investment banks or junior venture capital associates who want the next thing. And so partnering up with someone who wants to really take the lead on that and build it out and then have me support them. So it's not me being like the boss of everyone and delegating everyone. Everyone kind of has their own lanes to run in and we can all benefit from it together yeah okay that makes sense That's yeah like i would the say pop um, the pomp you know is uh, someone i should have mentioned before too that he he's done it well in, in terms of having a pretty large brand a lot of investments newsletters podcasts you name it and it's the pomp brand it's not you know uh some other media organization, it's tied to his identity. And so um, yeah. that's what I want people to know liquidity as. It's my identity, right. the online identity for a individual rather than a brand. Yeah. 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 So um, the last thing I want to talk about is like, you know, this really took off during mm -hmm. COVID, right? Like, and I think what's really interesting is like early on with, with publishing companies, I'm sure any company like, you're looking for signals, right? That that this thing is working, that it's taking off, and the signals come in in all sorts of different forms. They can they can mm -hmm. be on spreadsheets and things like um, audience growth and subscribers and stuff. They can be ad deals. They can be all sorts of different things. But like sometimes I think you can get like false mm -hmm. signals depending on the market, right? We were in like a crazy right. crazy market, like oh, with yeah. crypto, with fintech, like with everything everything up and to the right. I opened up mm. a, a, a Robinhood account. I've like <laughs> lost my shirt. I'm like yep. right back to index funds. I'm like, I'm done euphoria. with this yep. stuff. Mm -hmm. Now you yep. benefited from that, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I know, I know what I don't know. And yep. this is what, this is one of the things I don't know. Um, you, you benefited from this, right? I mean, cause people were, you know, when assets are inflated to such like, you know, the cost of acquisition had mm -hmm. to be so high for these companies, right? Are you seeing a come down now that all the asset valuations are down so, so That's, much? Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because I'm seeing a slowdown in advertisers reaching out and I think it's just a broad-based pullback, but I think it's not gonna be as deep as the 
I don't know, more splashy type sponsorships or whatnot for like major sports arenas or things that like you can't really track performance on. And so one thing that I've prided myself in is the engagement and the results that I'm able to deliver to sponsors. So continue to see interest from advertisers. They say, hey, look, I mean, at least we can track the link clicks and conversion and it's relatively cheap compared to other forms of of marketing that is also tied to a actual community. And that's that's what I'm seeing here. So yeah, there's definitely been a a little bit of a slowdown, but I think that's where what makes it more interesting now is to focus also on the investor side of things where valuations are compressing for startups and my audience also has capital on the sidelines that they're looking to deploy. And I think now is a good time to double down on that and, and get in. I mean, we're not in 08 or anything like that okay. right now, but you think about if you started investing in companies <laughs> in you know, 08, 09, like when the market was at a bottom and rode that 10 year cycle up, that was a pretty good entry point. So that's where I, that's kind of why I'm, you know, shifting yeah. the pendulum there right now. But I think just having exposure from the investing side and then also being able to monetize through advertisements and subscriptions and merch just makes it so that I'm not exposed to any one single macro vet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, I always just think it's like, I just see who's sponsoring stuff. I'm like, man, the crypto meltdown is going to like hurt a ton of people, man, because they were, (laughs) yeah, they didn't have big marketing departments (laughs) and they, (laughs) they just were like bazooking money out there because they were just in a land grab mode i know yep. you you had like what coinflex like yeah, struck a deal that, i mentioned it in my newsletter yeah. right <laughs> now they're <laughs> i don't know where they are right now yeah, that's, um yeah. so give give me some figures before we go like what, uh, how big is the one business employee, or rather sorry zero employees as bloomberg said um but i'm uh <laughs> still here there, there's a team of four of us that it's all like part-time and contractor based so i didn't want them to get ignored but unfortunately that's how the bloomberg thing came across second i'd say revenue yeah. you know it's um definitely trending up from last year where last year came in at around 1 million and uh, hopefully it's a little over two this year and i mean it's definitely just seeing how q4 shakes out but it's been good just to keep it there and yeah i don't know what other types of metrics would you know no i mean that's it the the Mm -hmm. the revenue is is a good metric right i mean so it's like to me it's like this absolutely works as a as a one person plus Mm -hmm. like you know a team uh business and just it's just a matter of getting from that, like, you know, one plus, you know, mm-hmm. the four part time and stuff like this to like, you know, having a, a bigger business. It's just, the, yeah, the, just, the challenge I'll the challenge. say there is if that's the revenue and then it's reinvesting all of it to grow the business, there's a lot more risk that's introduced into that model. And my trade off is, hey, like I could get all this into my pocket as my income. You know, if I make the yeah. decision to hire out a team and, and pay salaries and all that stuff, then it's kind of like, all right, well, I got to pay myself like a startup media founder salary for like a riskier payout that will probably happen in five years down the road or anything like that. So I was like, it was a, a tough decision, but I, yeah. I think now it's just, it's liberating to say, Hey, well now all of my efforts are actually 
going yeah. straight to my bank account and I can manage the relationships whichever way I want. The last thing I would say was the conflict of interest that would have been growing in having the media side of things with the venture arm. Part of the value add on the venture side is being able to use my distribution to help promote them and give favorable rates or packages or anything like that where it would conflict with maximizing revenue on the media front. So now it's like, hey, I mean, this is all my stuff now, so I can play it however I want and grow it like that. So that's also another thing that's liberating for me. Awesome. All right, Lit, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, really fascinated by what you're going to build. Okay, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Thank you for listening this week. We will be back next week with a new episode. The Rebooting Show is produced by Pod Help Us. Podcasts are a great way to expand your client base. Pod Help Us lets you focus on having engaging conversations, giving your brand the full stack of services needed for a professional look and sound. Start your podcast today at podhelp.us.